New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dr. Kyle Murray. He's a behavioral scientist and professor of marketing at the Alberta School of Business. He studies innovation and behavior change challenges in business and society, using the tools of experimental psychology and behavioral economics to better understand the choices that people make. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, happy to be here. In my podcast, once a month, I interview someone from Ypulse, which is a leading young consumer research firm. And one of the things that comes up with young consumers in both North America and Western Europe is their reported interest in environmental causes and sustainability. An overwhelming number of young consumers believe that climate change represents an existential threat. However, these same consumers also participate in fast fashion which leads to the question of what's going on with consumers and how can sustainable brands successfully tap into this interest and to change consumer behavior? Do you looked at the motivational dynamics of arousal and values when promoting sustainable behavior, which I think offers brands and marketers as well as policymakers some guidance on a way forward. First, to get a few things out of the way, I'd like to run through some of the terms that you use in the paper, which feel academic and less practitioner friendly, if you will. So first of all, arousal. And when you say arousal, does that cover awareness and interest or is that a real physiological term? Yeah, very much. Well, it's a combination of physiological and psychological, but it's. I'm glad you asked that question off the top because when I talk to audiences outside of academia, I never use that term because everyone thinks of something else when you say arousal right um, well exactly it's, it, right it's it's not it's not at all about sexual arousal what it, what it really refers to is in most theories of emotion there's two dimensions and one is how pleasant something is and the other is how energizing or arousing it is and so when we talk about arousal we're talking about the energy level that someone experiences relative to an emotion and, and one way to think about that is you can be calm which is a very pleasant emotion but it's, it's low in energy, or you can be excited, which is a very pleasant emotion, but it's high in energy. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about arousal is just that energy level relative to your emotional state. I see. And so if I'm a marketer and I'm thinking of my funnel and my calls to action, it's about the energy that's associated with that call to action, whether it's a, right, is that a fair way? If I'm putting, if I'm really putting the practitioner hat on firmly. Right, one way to think about it is most of the time as a, as a practitioner, what you want is to get people excited about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So you're really talking about a high energy state. There's maybe a few examples where you want people to be less energetic or, or calm. But uh, most of yeah, a (laughs) yoga brand, some wellness brands, maybe some food brands. You want to be sort of neutral, Mm. but most of the time, yeah, what you want is a higher level of of energy or excitement. And and so, usually, what we're looking at is is how do you get people into that state, and then what are the effects of of having more energy or on the kind of behavior you're going to get engaging as a consumer? Right. And you looked at how this that energetic level of that energy intersected with the consumer's existing values and values expressed by brands and their marketing. Now, does ener- does that, I'm just going to say sort of energized, 
rather than arouse that does that energized state simply amp you think of it as a lay person as amplifying does it just make more of whatever you are so is that a way to think about it so if you have values and you're aroused you're going to be more into those values is that a way to think about it? it to some extent i think that's that's reasonable probably the way i would think about it is is more in terms of motivation and drive Okay. So if, if you value, for example, recycling, you're going to be more driven to recycle when you have more energy. So at a very kind of intuitive level, we're more likely to engage in many behaviors that require some effort when we have more energy. Right. And when considering values in the paper, broadly speaking, there, there are types of values. Could you just explain the kind of dimensions of, of value, I guess, buckets of value? Yeah. So in this paper, we really were looking at two. We were looking at how open to change people are, how much change and being open to change is something someone values versus how much kind of the status quo and keeping things the same, which as a value is often called conservation. But you can, you can think of it as trying to maintain the status quo, how much you value that. And, and so those were the two things we looked at. Now, different people at different times are going to vary on those scales. And even the same person at different times might vary in, in terms of where they, they lean there. But overall, there's some people that are more open to change and some people that are more have a, have a greater desire to maintain the status quo. And, and so those are the two value systems that we were looking at in this paper. When, if I'm a vegan, it, would I be, and I, I'm a super vegan, I'm a vegan who talks about being a vegan at every party I go to, people get really bored by me. Am I then conserving that value? That's right. So, so okay. Yeah. So, so you're not it open relates, to change. It, I'm not open to change, but that doesn't mean my values can't be sort of progressive. I can have, I can be conservative about, conservative about changing progressive values. I just think that sometimes people right. wait and that's, one and that's or why the other. Again, it's one of the, it's a bit like arousal. It's one of these terms that has a meaning in the academic literature that doesn't map on well to uh, our normal discourse. So rather than, you know, maybe the easy way to think about it is rather than being conservative in the kind of traditional political sort of sense, what we're talking about is people who, who don't want to change, who want to maintain the status quo. Right. Okay. Now and that status quo could, like you said, it could be something very kind of politically or socially progressive, but right. it's just maintaining that. It's maintaining that. Not, not wanting to change. Okay. Historically, sustainability has been linked to openness to change. Right. So I guess then the question I have is, is that about values or behavior? So in, for instance, if I'm talking about these young consumers who report valuing environmental things a lot, does that mean, and then we talked about sort of that vegan who's status quoing on being a vegan, does it mean that they value environmentalism and they might be persuadable to change their behavior, but right now they're not changing their behavior because they're still buying fast fashion. Is that kind of a way to think about it? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I, I, again, I think we can get caught up with in kind of the academic literature, these longstanding notions of the different types of value systems people have at a high level. Mm. Um, and, and so you're right that sustainability isn't really one of those on its own, but openness to change kind of captures people being willing to do things they haven't done in the past, which may include some of those sustainable behaviors that are relatively new in society that we didn't focus on or talk about as much in the past. Right. And so when we're, we're talking about these things, some behaviors, for instance, bringing bags to the grocery store, 
people didn't, they didn't like it, but now it's become what they do. So what is familiar and what is change can shift over time. That's fluid, but the impact, but what you're measuring is openness to change. I guess I, it's a little difficult. What I'm saying is that this openness to change is this almost like a state of being rather than a right. particular. Okay. So that's, that's, yeah. it's a state of being. All right, everybody, listeners, that's what it is. Okay. So you, you also applied something called cognitive energetics theory to the question. So can you just explain what that theory says? Yeah, very simply, it, it says that when you want to do something, that desire to do it is, is one thing, but what you need in addition is the energy to make it happen. And so it's, it's interesting, I think, because it's sort of intuitive. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that we've focused on a lot in the past as psychologists or people studying consumer behaviors. What what is the what is the value of having the energy to be able to do something? We we mostly have focused on the cognitive things like I want to do it or I intend to do it, or maybe some emotional things like it feels good or it feels bad. Mm. Um, but we haven't had as much focus on okay, I want to do it. It feels good. But do I have the energy to actually make it happen? Right? Like I want to recycle. Recycling feels good, but I'm just that much closer to the garbage can. Do I really want to make that after extra effort to recycle or to engage in some other sort of more sustainable behavior? Uh, well, and, and that's what cognitive energetics theory gets at is that you, you need this driving force of energy, which is both the goal that you have to recycle, but it's also the intensity of that goal, like how much energy you're going to put towards it. Well, what's interesting is that there is reportedly with this again group of young consumers a hopelessness around the efficacy that they say a year worth of effort is wiped out by one billionaire's rocket trip to space so why bother now that sounds like that that's a restraining force that that dampens my energy it's the hopelessness it's depression things like that it's so that goes into that energetic state would that be a fair that's right. So, so the that's exactly um, the next sort of piece of the theory is there's these restraining forces, and the restraining force could be something like a sort of a sense of hopelessness, or that it doesn't actually matter, and and that means it requires even more motivation, more energy in order to engage in that behavior to kind of overcome on those restraining forces. And, and so cognitive energetics theory is not at the basic level, it's not su super complex. Right. It's really just saying that there's some barriers in the way to you taking action. And you're going to need a certain level of energy to get over those barriers. The bigger the barrier, the more energy you need. Right. Well, it makes absolute sense. And it's almost like, well, they didn't do it. I guess they didn't overcome the inertia. They, blocked. they just couldn't, they couldn't get there. You also use terms around consumer experience, like novice consumers. And given how my toddlers behaved at a toy store and they seem pretty expert at spending money, what does, in the context of consumer experience, what does novice mean? It's very, it's very specific to the context. So if you, to give you a, a specific context, if you've never volunteered to sort garbage in your community before, then you'd be a novice. If you've done it many times, you'd be experienced. So, so it's as simple as that. It's so not, is, it, we're all consumers, like you say, pretty much from birth. So right. none of us are really novice in that sense. But it, it, within particular contexts, we may be no, novice or experienced. But would it be, I guess... It's not, it's novice to the call to action. 
Like it, I'm new to recycling. That's the sort of the call to action. That's what we, I'm new to buying green products. I'm new. Is it that? Is that what it is? Yeah. It would be? Okay. Right. That con, whatever that context might be. It could be I'm, I'm new to watching football or I'm new to driving a car or whatever it is that makes you a novice. Once you've done it multiple times, you're more experienced. So it's really as simple as that. Okay. And so you're always, so that, that framework is always, is always shifting. But if, if you're, if you're a marketer, when you're listening and you're thinking about this conversation, it kind of means who your target is. So it's, if, if, if it's people who are persuadable, but haven't participated yet, those would be novices, right? Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure that they're necessarily persuadable, but, oh, but they're the okay. ones that haven't participated yet. <laughs> okay, may or may true. That's what I, exactly. Okay. Too fair. Fair to correct that. Okay. So if values, we have the energy, we have the consumer experience with what we're trying to get them to do in the sustainable efforts here. And you came in with some hypotheses about how all these things would come together. Can you uh, walk us through what you thought you would see? Sure. So, I mean, at a high level, and you've touched on it already, people often say they want to engage in sustainable behaviors, and yet their actual behavior doesn't seem to align with that desire. And, and so we were interested in why might that be? I'd done work previously in a, multiple different settings and papers around the role that energy plays in behavior and emotional states play in behavior. And with my co-author, we had also done some work recently looking at motivational states and, and values. So combining those two things, we thought maybe part of what's going on when we talk about sustainable behavior is that people want to do it and they don't have the energy. Mm. Or maybe sometimes you have the energy, but you don't really care that much about, let's again, use the example of recycling. And it's that combination of things that really drives that behavior forward. So you need to both want to do it, have that kind of openness to change in your, your routine to do something that you might not otherwise have done, and you need the energy to make it happen. And, mm. and so th that's kind of the basic hypothesis that those two things, energy and the value state, well, such as openness to change that you're in, are what interact to drive the, the behavior. So the the sort of converse is that if you're mellow, if you're feeling mellow, you're probably not going to be recycling. Is that kind of? Yeah, or just like low in energy. Low you know, energy. Mellow, mellow is maybe a, a specific emotional okay. state, but just low in energy generally it could be okay. frustrated because it could be a negative. Like it won't make any difference. Right. It won't bother. Okay. Yeah. Those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically if you don't, if you don't have the energy to kind of trigger and motivate that behavior, then even if it's something that you value, something that you want to do, it's probably not going to happen. And, and that ha helps answer some of the question that others have looked at around this intention versus behavior gap that you've alluded to, where you, you do intend to do something, you'd like to do something, but you just actually don't do it. And it, it, so energy, energy is a, is a part of it. You also explore how effort relates to it, right? So what did you think? So is that about the effort? That is the level of they don't have the energy because they're perceiving a level of effort? Is that what it is? So, so there's to begin with. There's sort of the basic of you. You think to go and and recycle that can is going to require a certain amount of energy, and you just don't have it or don't want to spend the energy to do it. But based on prior research, one of the other more interesting things that we expected to see or anticipated seeing, at least, was that when you have when you're in a higher energy state, not only do you have the energy to undertake the behavior, but the behavior itself looks like it'll be easier to do. Oh, that's interesting. 
So is yeah, that so, is, is is one's assessment just generally speaking? Because I I know that you look at behavior like in all of your other research, you look at at behavior and why people do what they do. As you have more energy, generally speaking, is effort is the is your perception of any effort reduced? Is that true across the board? No, not necessarily. Only, okay, okay. And so so this is kind of an interesting finding in this particular research, this paper is that when it comes to sustainable behaviors that we're looking at. When you have more energy, they also seem easier or, or like they will require less effort. And especially that's true if you're new to it, if you're a novice. So if, you, if you've done it a lot before, you already know how much energy it's going to take. So mm-hmm. for experienced consumers, it doesn't change a lot. But for somebody who's new to it, when, they're, when they have that combination of, I, I want to engage in the behavior, it's consistent with my values, I have the energy to make it happen. And in addition to that, it actually looks easier to accomplish as well. It looks like it'll take less energy. So you get this this really interesting compounding effect. Oh, that is nice. That is nice. Okay. So we sort of understand the the consumer being new to it or not. We understand the idea of of effort and energy. Now, there was one one thing that I was a little confused by related to that effort level. And that was I guess it's, I'm going to read the actual <laughs> academic language so you can translate it. So consumer experience moderates the effort of perceived, moderates the effect of perceived effort on sustainable behavior such that perceived effort is negatively related to sustainable behavior, which is what you just said. So I, yeah, I feel that's right. So in some ways, what that means is I'm, I'm an experienced consumer, a level of effort, and I know what it is. So that's fine. But the less experienced consumer thinks, oh, it's actually easier than I thought it would be. So is that? Yeah. So, so for example, you might think it's a bit of a hassle to, to get your own bag and bring it to the grocery store. But if you've never done that before, and you really do care about sustainable behavior, and you have energy to direct towards that behavior, you're going to say, well, it's actually not very difficult to get my own bag. Right. right? And bring it. And then later, we realize that we still consistently forget it at home or in our car or whatever it might be. So our, our actual, once we become experienced at it, we might have a better sense of what it requires to make it happen. But initially, when you look at it, if you haven't done it before, if you're a novice and you have the energy and you have the value that, that drives the behavior in that direction, then you're going to think it's easier than it actually is. It's going to require less effort. Well, yeah, that's, that's that's interesting if we think about sort of from a policy perspective, municipalities who are saying like no bags at all, every even the restaurants, you got to get rid of the bags, got to get rid of the straws. People are going to have to ask for straws. And, and so this is sort of you energize the people there, get open to the change and they will feel like it's not as hard as maybe they thought it would be. Is that sort of? Yeah, basically, that's it. And And so as you kind of think through, I mean, that's a fairly complex set of interactions that gets us to that result. And But when you think through the whole uh, model in, in this research, the linchpin is really energy, right? Because if you want to do it, if you have the energy, it really does drive that behavior forward because it's going to look like it's easier to do. You're going to have more energy to be able to do it. And, and that's especially true if you're new to it. Again, as you get more experience, you become better calibrated at what's really going on. But if you're new to something, and a lot of us are new to these things like bringing bags or asking for napkins. That energy is really the thing that's going to drive the behavior. So what it's going to make it happen. So if you're a marketer, it's really about getting people excited or energized around the behavior you would like to see them undertake. 
Right. It really has to be that. Are, were there any surprises for you? You had these ideas of how these things would relate. You've done these other experiments. Did anything unusual happen? I mean, you had mentioned the one about effort level and you said that that was... Yeah. I, I mean, I think although we set up the experiments to test the hypothesis around the effect on perceived effort, so that was the theory. Right. Um, I, I think we both, Lee and I were both somewhat surprised to see how cleanly it worked. And that <laughs> it, it really is true. Anybody who's done experimental work knows that you there's theory and then there's the empirical evidence. And, and sometimes the theory sounds really good and you get to testing it in the lab or in the real world. And we did both in this paper. And it doesn't work out that way. So I think that was a fairly ambitious hypothesis. And to see that sort of three-way interaction come to to drive behavior and the way we predicted was, I don't want to say surprising, but it was it was nice to find. It was a, a pleasant result. Well, and especially if I'm thinking about marketers, especially these marketers who are associated with sustainable brands, and they have this conundrum of they know there's a population out there who reports really caring about this stuff. How can I take what you've said here and use it? <laughs> How can I change? How can I how can I get them there? What would help me do that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that we realized on the sort of practical side. And, and one is that sustainable behavior is more complex than we would have really originally thought. The kind of basic behavioral sciences make it easy and people will do it. And right. that's that's not quite the case here. It, it requires more than that. I, I think the other practical implication that I've already mentioned and we've talked about a bit is that that energy level is very important. So if, if you want to get people engaged in sustainable behaviors, it's important to get them excited about doing it and and try and in the moment even if you're if it's a retail store or if it's a work environment that you want to get them, you want to create more energizing environments because those are the environments where people engage in these behaviors. I think the other side of it, though, is we all only have so much energy and we aren't going to be excited about everything that we come across. Mm-hmm. And so the real challenge in practice is we talk in advertising historically about kind of breaking through the clutter. And it's, it's a kind of a similar idea in that you have to convince people to spend their energy on the thing you're promoting versus something else. That, that's where the real challenge is. I think that's where you get from theory to practice, where the rubber hits the road is can you convince people that it's worth doing your thing? Is it worth coming, volunteering time to sort garbage or spending a little bit more money to buy the green product or walking a little bit further to recycle that bottle? We have a limited amount of energy and you're not going to get people to do everything that everybody would like them to do. So how do you get them to do that thing that that is important? Right. One one question just about this sort of not endless endless pit of energy that we have, that we have sort of a limited amount of energy. Young consumers reportedly research, they research what brands are doing. That seems like energy I never spend I or didn't used to. That kind of, pervi- like, does that level of effort just generally layered on top reduce how much they have? Well, I, I think what it tells me is that as young consumers, they're willing to direct their energy towards this problem. Whereas maybe, I don't want to stereotype a different group, let's pick the other end of the spectrum. Maybe the senior citizens or maybe people with young children or maybe there's some other demographic group that just doesn't have the energy to direct towards better understanding the environmental impact or the societal impact of the products they buy. And so they're just buying on different criteria. So I would say it's it's a good sign because 
they're almost checking the box and saying, yeah, I, I do have, not only do I have the values, the value system that is going to make me behave in a sustainable way, but I'm willing to devote the energy to do that. Right. Now, what about, so you looked at, at people who were open to, to doing things. What about people who were sort of very status quo? Could you move the needle with the status quo folks? Or did you not? It, it, it helps a little, but not enough. So what, what you see with people who are in that kind of more, let's say, not open to change state, mm. that energy is not really going to affect their behavior. It is. It really is an interaction. You need both. You need to be open to, to changing your behavior, to trying something different, and the energy to do it. If you're missing the energy or you're missing... Um, the openness to try something, it's that behavior is not going to happen. So right. if you think about this as kind of that traditional two by two grid, there's only one quadrant of the grid where you get the behavior. Um, right. The others you don't. Right. Right. Of course. Well, this has been really, really interesting. And I, when I think about sustainability and I think about the brands who are trying to push people uh, to do these things and to get that energy up and also for policymakers, is there any other thing that practitioners or policymakers should take away? Well, yeah, probably at least two things. There's okay. the usual caveat that this is just one study. So there, there'll be many other studies and, and one paper, one study in any scientific field is probably not the end of the conversation. Mm. And so we should kind of always have, have that caveat in mind because there will undoubtedly be other nuances and um, discoveries and in, in, in terms of this behavior, sustainable behavior. But the other side of it is, I think what we're learning more and more is that this behavior is complex, sustain, motivating sustainable behavior is complex. Um, and that's not great news, because that makes it harder. But at least I think the more that we can understand what some of those key drivers are, the easier it'll be for us to move people in the direction that we'd like them to go. And so what I would take away from this set of studies and this research that I'd feel pretty comfortable about suggesting to anyone is an important aspect of motivating sustainable behaviors, that you need people who want to do it, and then you need them to have the energy to do it. Right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your research and explain it down for the layperson, the practitioner. I really appreciate it. It's been really interesting. Oh, happy to do it. And yeah, it's, it was a fun study to do. I think it's an important area to work in and glad to get to talk about it a little bit. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Norton, the Voicers who quoted our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.